Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Matthew chapter 22. This is Jesus in the temple during Passion Week, the last week of his life. And this is Tuesday of Passion Week. We're going to call this Tuesday Temple Tuesday Teaching or Tuesday Temple Teaching. He did a lot of it on Tuesday. He's already given three parables where he explained to the Jews in parable form that their kingdom was going to be taken away from them, given to the Gentiles, and their city was going to be burnt down, which of course happened in AD 70. He's talked about rendering unto Caesar, which is Caesar. He talked about what the greatest commandment was. He did a lot of teaching. Now this is one more teaching here. We're going to finish up at the end of Matthew 22. While the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. Well, the reason the Pharisees were together is because they had just finished questioning Jesus, and they had thrown everything they could at him. They had asked him all these trip questions, as did the Pharisees, who asked them about how you could believe in resurrection. If a woman had seven husbands, how could she believe in the resurrection? He had handled the Sadducees, and he had handled the Pharisees when it came to paying the temple tax, and so they shut up. Now, he's, Jesus goes on the offense. Now, he's questioning them. He asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, where's Jesus going with this question? Well, he knew that the Pharisees thought of the Messiah as a physical person, a human being, not God, who was going to be a great political and military hero. And he also knew that they would answer the way they did, is that David's, that the Messiah was David's son or his descendant. And that's exactly where he wanted to go because he knew that they did not conceive of the Messiah as supernatural, as divine. And so he's going to show to them by quoting the scripture that he is actually the Messiah and he is divine. So the Pharisees answer just as David, just as Jesus, Jesus expects when he says, whose son is he? And they say, David, and they were right. Now, this idea that David was the son, that the Messiah was the son of David was a commonly received and correct idea, as John Gill and Adam Clark say. People were always calling Jesus the son of David. In John chapter 7, verses 41 through 42, we read this. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring, the son of David, and from the town of Bethlehem where David once lived? So you see, the Messiah was considered to be the son of David. But it's kind of ironic that the, that the Pharisees, as learned as they were in the law, didn't notice this this little passage that Jesus is about to quote from Psalm 110 that showed that the Messiah was divine as well as human. The human aspect of the Messiah, in the human aspect, the Messiah was the descendant of David, but and he was inferior to David, but in the divine aspect, the Messiah was superior to David. And now Jesus is going to quote Psalm 110 to prove that to them. Matthew 22, verses 43 through 44. He, Jesus, asked them, the Pharisees, How is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord. Now, Jesus is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. All right, first of all, before we get into Psalm 110, let's look at this little phrase that Jesus said, David inspired by the Spirit. Jesus is quoting a, an Old Testament scripture, and he says it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus believed in the inspiration of the Spirit. Of course, inspiration means inerrancy. Jesus believed in that. Of all the times that he disagreed with the Pharisees, he never disagreed with them on their version of the inspiration of the Old Testament scriptures because he believed in it too. So, Jesus is saying, look, the Holy Spirit told David this. 
because David couldn't have come up with this on his own, actually. I believe that you can reasonably infer that that's what Jesus is mean, means, is that David could not naturally have known this. Known what? He could not have known that God the Father would declare to David's messianic Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David could not have known that. Now, what did, he, what did Jesus mean when he quoted Psalm 110? Well, let's just see what David meant when he wrote Psalm 110. Psalm 110 says this, This is the declaration of the Lord in capital letters to my Lord in little letters. Okay, this is the Holman Christian Study Bible. This is a standard convention among many English translations. Is that whenever the word for Yahweh is translated, the translators put it in all caps. But when another word like Adonai, I think the second Lord here is Adonai, the, the, the word Lord that does not mean Yahweh is put in lowercase letters. So then David is saying this, this is the declaration of Yahweh to my Adonai, to my Lord, who of course Jesus is going to apply to the Messiah. So God in heaven, the Father, is declaring to somebody else who is David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your energy your footstool. So the Father is saying that this Lord, this somebody else Lord, this lowercase Lord, this Adonai Lord, is supposed to sit at God the Father's right hand until God the Father makes Adonai's enemies, Adonai's footstool. So let's instead of saying Adonai, let's just say the Messiah. So this is what David is saying. This is the declaration of God the Father to the Messiah. Sit at my, God the Father's right hand until I, God the Father, make your, the Messiah's enemies, your, the Messiah's footstool. Messianic declaration right there in Psalm 110. The Pharisees had not seen that. And, of course, the implication is is that he is the Messiah, as you put all of his teaching together. I mean, he came into the city being proclaimed king of the Jews, Hosanna, Hosanna. So they knew what he was talking about. They were saying, I am the Messiah, folks, and it was written in the Scripture. So we see here that from David's point of view, he's got a Lord that's the Messiah, and he's got a descendant who's the Messiah. The Lord who is his Messiah in the spiritual sense is divine, and in the human sense, is a descendant at all at the same time. Now, there's a little quirk here. In the Holman Christian Study Bible, in the New Testament quotation, they've got lowercase Lord declared to my lowercase Lord, which is not the standard convention. I don't know why they did that. However, in the Old Testament, they had the first Lord, the Yahweh Lord, is all capitalized. So you get to watch those capitalized Lords that usually mean Yahweh. Now, we pick up a detail on this little incident in Mark chapter 12. Mark says this, and the large crowd was listening to him with delight. They loved good teaching. They loved to watch the Pharisees flummoxed. These great experts in the law, Jesus comes and he ties them up in knots and runs rings around them, scripturally, theologically. Matthew 22, verses 45 through 46. Jesus continues, if David calls him Lord, how then can the Messiah be his son? Now, of course, what Jesus is getting at here is you guys believe that the Messiah is a natural descendant of King David. You, you Pharisees believe that the Messiah is only a human natural descendant of King David. And I believe that, too. But he's more than that. He's divine. He's the son of God, the son of man, as he calls himself in many other places. So let me repeat this. Verse 45, if David calls him Lord, how then can the Messiah be his son? Well, the answer to that question is he can be his son in the natural sense, but in the but you have to allow for a spiritual sense, a divine sense in which the Messiah is Lord. 
And that was the answer. But what answer did the Pharisees give? Verse 46, no one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question him anymore. I mean, Jesus shut them slam up. They just gave up. And so from then on, they tried to kill him. They, they said, we're not going to argue with this guy anymore. We've got to get rid of him. He's going to take our place away. The Romans are going to kill uh, going to destroy us when he sets up his messianic kingdom let me give you a quote from jameson fawcett and brown concerning this little incident with the pharisees there is but one solution of this difficulty the difficulty of how the messiah can be the son and the lord of david at the same time there is one but one solution of this difficulty messiah is at once inferior to david as his son according to the flesh and superior to him as the lord of a kingdom of which david is himself a subject not the sovereign the human and divine natures of Christ and the spirituality of his kingdom, of which the highest earthly sovereigns are honored if they be counted worthy to be its subjects, furnish the only key to this puzzle. Let's look at the, this incident from the point of view of the Pharisees. They had three unpalatable choices, according to John Gill. Their first option is they could admit that the Messiah was supernatural, as Jesus was teaching, and admit that the Messiah was God and thus then would implicitly admit that Jesus might be the Messiah, and especially given the context of what's going on, that, as I said earlier, that would basically be admitting that Jesus was the Messiah, and you know they weren't going to do that. So they were stuck by Psalm 110. They couldn't admit that the Messiah was supernatural. So their second option was just to say, I don't know, but that would make them look stupid in front of the onlookers. This usurper Jesus would then have made monkeys out of them in front of the whole crowd. They didn't want to do that. So they did. They, they took option three, which is their only option. They remained silent, which still made them look stupid, but it made them less stupid, I guess. In other words, they had three bad options. They were stuck. Jesus had them. So in one day, Jesus has shut up the Herodians and the Pharisees with the story about rendering to Caesar, which is Caesar. That was the temple tax question. Should, should Jesus pay the temple tax? Should Jews pay the temple tax? And he said, render to Caesar what Caesar's rendered to, to, to God what is God's. That shut up the Pharisees and Herodians who came to trap him with that question. The Sadducees had tried to trap him with the story of the woman, the widow woman with seven husbands. Whose husband was she going to be in the resurrection? Because they didn't believe in the resurrections. They tried to trap him on that, either admit resurrection and make them mad or deny resurrection and make the Pharisees mad. He said, nah, you're both wrong. There's not going to be any marriage in heaven. There will be a resurrection, Sadducees, so you're wrong. But you're also wrong that there's going to be marriage in heaven. Actually, I should have said the Pharisees were wrong in thinking that there would be marriage in heaven. They, of course, believed in the resurrection, but they were wrong to think that people would get married in heaven. So quit, quit trying to flummox me with these dumb questions. So he made them look bad. The Rhodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, those were the three main factions of the Jews all of whom were united as much as they hated each other, all of whom were united against Jesus and wanted to kill him, and Jesus had shut them all up. So that was the end of it. They didn't ask him anymore. So this is uh, the end of Jesus' public ministry. Now, we've gone through a lot of teaching on in the temple on Tuesday. We haven't mentioned the passages in John, which also add to this teaching. I'm not going to do that. We're gonna, when I get to John, we'll talk about that. So... But just what we've gone through in the Synoptic Gospel series, there's a ton of teaching in the temple. And this is the end of his public ministry on Tuesday because he leaves the Jerusalem on Tuesday evening and goes to the Mount of Olives and gives the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And then Wednesday he takes off. And I, I, I can see why, because 
He didn't do anything on Wednesday. Nothing is recorded. He didn't go back into Jerusalem. And there's good reason, I'm sure, because he was probably worn out after all the teaching he did all day Tuesday. So from now on, his enemies do nothing but plot to kill him. So the drama continues with the approach Thursday when we have the preparation of the Passover as after they take Wednesday off. And then Thursday night, Judas betrays him. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. They arrest him in the middle of the night. And Friday, they kill him. We'll continue with this story Next audio, I hope you enjoyed this one.